Uh, so, uh, one of the things I've noticed in my life, and maybe you've noticed this too, it can be easy to overcomplicate what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I can show you my office, which I don't have a lot of books, like physical books, but I can point out dozens upon dozens of books that really just center around like, okay, let, let, let us now tell what does it mean to be a Christian, to be faithful in your Christian faith, and I could open up my laptop, which I have a lot more books on there, the digital resources, and I can show you dozens upon dozens and dozens of more books, and I can point you to Amazon with all kinds of lists of hundreds upon hundreds of books that have been written, not over the course of history, just over the past like five years, all looking at this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm not knocking those. Like, like I said, I have a whole bunch of them in my office. Like, in a sense, that's kind of like my job, is to, to talk about, like, what does it mean to be a Christian in our day and age? So I'm not knocking it, but I think that what that means is sometimes we can overcomplicate it. When really, it's quite simple. Really, what it means to be a Christian is really simple. And I think as we look at Matthew chapter 4, and we see the story of Jesus calling his first disciples to be his disciples, to be Christians in a sense, we really see from Jesus how simple it is. Because Jesus said in two statements what we have spent like thousands of years and countless doctoral dissertations trying to explain, and Jesus did it in two phrases. Or if you had these two sentences of Jesus, and it's all you had, it's all you had from Jesus was these two sentences you would know what it means to be a Christian. You would know what it means to be faithful to him. So, those two sentences, those two phrases Jesus says. The first one, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now, whether you realize it or not, in all the Gospels, the kind of biographies of Jesus' life, and when they get to the point where they talk about his sermons, his preaching, because he did a lot of preaching, they all kind of summarize it in this same way, that Jesus' sermons really boiled down to this, that the message he preached was this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That that was his sermon. That was his message over and over again. And and here's where I'm willing to bet, is that when we hear that, there's a whole lot of images, a whole lot of things that come to our mind with that word, repent. It's a really churchy word, but it's one of those churchy words that even a whole lot of church people don't even know what it means. And if you're like, I really don't know what repent means, you're okay. You are not alone in that. And so, as I think about what, what does Jesus mean when he says, repent, which to Jesus is a big deal. What does he mean? I, I think a few different ways of looking at it. One way of looking at it is like this. Um, maybe you can relate to this, and, and this is overgeneralizing, but I know a lot of guys, I think, can relate to what I'm going to say, but it's not exclusive to guys by any means. One of the things about me is that whenever we are going somewhere, like me and my family, we're either driving or walking or we're going someplace I want to wear it as a badge of honor if we get there and I don't have to ask for directions. Like, and I don't have to, 
look up assistance. I don't know, maybe you guys can relate to that feeling, and you wear like a badge of honor, like, I just have that good of a sense of direction that like, oh, we're going there, like, it's in that direction, and I can, I can chart a course, and I feel like Lewis and Clark and all that fun stuff. Um, but here's the thing. We inevitably reach a point where I have this internal thought, but I'm not going to say it out loud, but my wife, who I married up and is, is a lot uh, smarter than I am, will look at me and be like, Andy, I don't think you know where we're going. <laughs> like, I think we're going the wrong way. And internally I have that thought, but I didn't want to say it out loud, but I hear it and I'm like, no, I know where we're going, but eventually I realize, nope, I have no idea where I'm going. I'm going the wrong way. And so we have to like, either turn around or we've got to look for assistance. We've got to get back on the right path because I was going the wrong way way, I I think when Jesus says, repent, he's inviting us to recognize we've been going the wrong way. We've been going the wrong way in our life. And to repent is to recognize, man, I need to turn around. I need to turn back. It's one way of thinking about it. Another way, again, I'll kind of share a personal example from my own own closet. Um, When we were married early on. When we first got married and we're broke college students, we were both finishing up uh, undergrad, and so um, we don't have a lot of money. We had even way less then as two college students. Um, Ikea, like, that was just an incredible experience to go and to look at all the possibilities of what our, like, apartment and houses could look like and some of the things we could afford. All right? And the thing with Ikea, if you've ever bought Ikea furniture, is they give you instructions, but that is a real loose word for Ikea. It's just pictures, and you got to interpret it, and you got to figure it out on your own of how to put this furniture all together. And I, I, I was like, all right, again, like the driving directions. I want to put this together, and I don't want to ask for help. I want to be able to do it on my own. Um, but here's the thing, like, my family will hear me when I get frustrated. They'll hear me, like, let out exasperated, like, oh, and, and they know, like, all right, Dad or, or Andy, like, he's getting frustrated at something. And that would happen a whole bunch when putting, you know, that furniture together. And eventually, again, my loving wife would be like, do you need some help? <laughs> do you need some assistance? And, and I would be like, no, no, I got it because I want to finish this. I can do it. But eventually, my frustration overtakes my stubbornness, and I just put down the tools, I put down the instructions, and I'm like, I give up. You, you got to step in and take over. When Jesus says repent, he's saying, give up. Let go of the frustration, let go of the reality that you've been trying to control your life. Let go of it and realize that, that you need somebody to step in and lead the way and take over. One more. Um, many people, and maybe some of you, um, have family or friends or people you know who have been through uh, 12 Steps and AANA, been through the 12 Steps programs. Um, the first step is, is quite interesting, I think, in the 12 Steps. The first step is not... I recognize I have a problem and I need help. 
That's not the first step. Which oftentimes we're like, yeah, that's like the first step is recognizing I have a problem, I need help. You want to know how they phrase it? They say that I am powerless against this addiction. Like, I am completely unable in myself to, to battle this, to, to not give in to this. I am powerless. And they use that word specifically. Because that's not asking for advice. That's not asking for a guide. That's not asking for a life coach. Not against any of those things, but it's recognizing the dire straits of the situation that I am completely powerless against this, this addiction, this temptation in me, and I need somebody to come in and give me their strength, give me their power, because I'm not strong enough, I'm not powerful enough on my own. And when Jesus comes to us and says, repent, he's saying that we were, are to recognize that in our our proclivity, our addiction to the sin in us, which can look like a whole bunch of different things, we are powerless against it. And we need him to step in. That's what Jesus means when he says, repent. Now notice, though, he, he continues the sentence, and he doesn't leave it on that, like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Hey, you need some assistance. Hey, you need, like, someone to come in and, like, do heart surgery on you and fix you because you're the problem, not other people. He doesn't just leave us there, but he says what, what is so amazing, this incredible promise. He says, repent because why? The kingdom of God is near. And he's saying this, that it's in that moment of weakness, of lostness, of powerlessness, that God's kingdom meets you right there. His, his direction comes and puts you on the right path. His willingness to meet you and care for you and lead you meets you right where you are. His power meets you in your powerlessness, and you see and experience his kingdom of mercy and grace and life and love and forgiveness right there. That's where his kingdom meets you, right there. And that is incredible good news. But here's what I know. I know there's probably two different types of people, whether here in person or tuning in online, or two different types of people you know. One type of person hears this from Jesus, and, and it makes no sense. Because in their mind, they're roughly following the right way. They roughly know the directions. In their mind, they roughly have a good um, handle on their life. In their mind, they, they kind of have everything under control. Like, they're not perfect, but you roughly have things put together in your life. And if that's you, if you're in that place, um, I have nothing to give you. Jesus has nothing to give you. Because Jesus is going to make no sense to you. But what I would encourage you to do, if that's your place where you're like, I generally like, know what I'm doing, I have a handle on my life, I'm following the right way, like, I'm good on my own, roughly, my encouragement to you is to look deeper and to really ask yourself that question. Are you in as much control of your life as you think you are? To look deeper and to ask, are you in as much, like, do you have as much power and agency over your life as you think you do? 
And if you look deep at that question and look into your heart and look at your life and you come to a place of like, wow, I, I'm not in as much control as I thought. I'm not as, as, as strong as I thought I was. I'm, I'm more lost than I thought. Then I've got really good news for you. Because Jesus says that's where he meets people who have nothing good in themselves, who realize they're at the bottom of their rope. He says, that's where I meet you. So if you're here today and you realize, nope, Pastor Andy, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I am weak. I am frustrated. My life, like, I don't feel like I have control over it. Jesus wants you to know his kingdom is right here for you. He meets you right now because his kingdom is here. Jesus says one other phrase. He says, repent, kingdom of God is near. But then he continues on in this chapter when he meets his first disciples, and his kind of intro speech to them, at least one-on-one, is this. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, he's talking to fishermen, so he's kind of using their their, like, thought language, the way that they saw the world. Um, But really what's in it is an invitation, follow him, and a promise. I will make you fishers of men. And believe it or not, Jesus is saying the same thing to you and me. He gives you an invitation, and he gives you a promise. His invitation is exactly the same as it was to Peter James and John and Andrew and all of those other disciples that Jesus spoke with face to face. His invitation to you is really simple, and it's just this, follow me. Which, he was a rabbi, and what they understood is is he, as their rabbi, was inviting them to listen to what he said, to kind of sit at his feet and to listen to the words he taught and the conversations he had and to let his words be priority in their life. And they would look at what he did and, and not only model what he was doing, but look at, at what he was doing for their sake, for them to listen and to watch. And that's what Jesus is inviting you to do too to listen to his word that that he shares to you in scripture, that he speaks as Christians gather together. He is speaking to you. And to to look at what he does and to read his word and to say, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you doing? And to be open to the possibility of what he is doing and saying around you and to let that shape your life. That's what it means to follow him. That is the invitation to listen to Jesus and to watch Jesus and let that shape your heart and your mind. But he gives a promise out of that invitation. He says, follow me, and then he says, and I will make you fishers of men, which I'm sorry, guys, if you really want to learn fishing tips, that's not what he promises to you and me today. He's not promising us how to, how to fish how to catch the walleye or what? I'm not a fisherman if you, if you don't know, um, how to do all that fun stuff. But he does give you promises right now. He says, as you follow him, he will guide you, which sounds kind of like, duh, but it's helpful to remember that, that you have him leading you, 
like you aren't trying to just figure it out on your own, but you have Jesus leading you. And I think for many of us, I know for me, and maybe you're like me, I want to know, like, I'm a planner, so I want to know, like, okay, what's, like, the next two years looking like, Jesus? What's the next five years? What's the, what, what, what are the big goals we're going to do, Jesus? What are the steps? Where are the, the roadblocks going to come? Like, Jesus, lay out the plan for me. He doesn't guide us like that. You want to know how he guides us? Kind of like our GPS system on our phones. We know where we're going. Like, you can look and you're like, I know the ultimate destination. And Jesus tells you, listen, this is where I am bringing you. I am bringing you ultimately to be with me and to be with all of my people in a resurrected, new, perfected world. That's where you're going. And I've told you it. You know it. And then he tells us what our next step is, like the GPS that says turn right in 200 feet. But that's it. He tells you where you're going and he tells you the next step. But that's it. But that's all we need. And he promises you to guide you all along the way. And so out of that, I I think just to give you a question to reflect on that I really can't give you the answer for, what is the next step he's put in front of you? Like, what is the next step as you follow him, as you listen to his word, as you watch what he does? What is the next step he's put in front of you? And I can't answer that for you. That, that's something you have to prayerfully ask him. Like, what is the next step? And he'll show it to you. Like, he'll put it in front of you. He'll put it on your mind. He'll put what that next step is. Maybe it's that conversation that you know you need to have with that person. Maybe it's, it's taking seriously listening to him, and really it just begins there of like, hey, I, I want you to take this first step of listening to me. Could be a whole host of other things. Could be forgiving that person that is really hard to forgive. What is the next step that he has put in front of you? And his invitation is to take it. And then guess what he'll do after that? Give you another step. You know where you're going, and you know your next step, and he promises to lead you and guide you. But secondly, he also gives another promise to us. He says, follow me, and he promises that he will transform you. That as you follow him, what begins to happen is like his love begins to transform how you love other people. His forgiveness begins to shape how you forgive other people. His mercy begins to shape your heart and your mind His wisdom, his justice, his truth begin to shape you as you follow him, and it transforms you. But notice, Jesus never promises that he will transform, at least in this life, our circumstances. And oftentimes, at least for myself, and maybe you're like me, that's what we want him to change. (laughs) Change the circumstances, Jesus. That's what I want you to change. But Jesus doesn't promise that he will do that in this life. We know where we're going, where everything will be transformed, everything will be made right, but for now, there's no guarantees of that. But you know what he promises to do? He'll transform you in the middle of them. He'll change you in the middle of your circumstances. Like, like think about this. 
Jesus is speaking to these disciples, and then he's speaking to whole crowds of people, and he's saying, follow me, and he will transform them. The majority of them would never leave like a 20-mile radius of their house. (laughs) They lived in their situation and in their circumstances, but Jesus was making a promise to them that even though you won't move physically, even though your life circumstances may stay the same for now, he will transform them in the midst of them. And the same thing is true of you and me. I saw an example of this from a, from a friend of mine. Um, friend of mine's also named Andrew. Um, he is a, a pastor out in Iowa. We were classmates in seminary, and me and Katie, my wife, got to know him and his wife Tiffany pretty well. And uh, before seminary, um, he had um, bouts with with cancer, and he had gone through treatment, and then through seminary, he was in remission. Um, but then in the past months, maybe a year or so, it's come back in his life, and so he's been going through treatments and, and battling against that. He shared this update actually earlier this week. I mean, he wrote this. He shared this with, um, with everybody on his, on his Facebook. He said, it's with a heavy heart that we learn today that I have weeks to months to live. New trials do not look promising, and if I have little time with Tiffany, his wife, I wish to feel as well as possible for those moments. I do not embrace death. It's an enemy in God's world. But the Bible also describes those who are connected to Christ and who are away as sleeping. After 10 plus years of dealing with cancer, surgeries, and depression, I embrace not death, but the rest of Jesus. Jesus died, but he came back to life. I was incorporated into his death and his resurrection on December 20th, 1990 in my baptism. I will die soon, but I will rise too. And then he says this, he says, if you have not embraced, if you have not been embraced by Jesus in holy baptism, take it from a dying man, it's all I have to lean on right now. I love you all very much, but more importantly, Jesus loves you more. That is what Jesus does in us. Transforms us into be people of hope, even in the face of loss, people of joy, even in the face of of pain, people of peace even in the face of losing so much in this world. That's what he does in us. That's what he does in you as we follow him. We know where we're going, and he promises to transform us right here and right now. As as I said at the beginning, following Jesus, being a Christian, is really simple. Jesus says, repent, (laughs) repent, Believe in him, like turn to him. And then he says, follow me. It's really simple. But here's probably the thing you thought as soon as I said that sentence. And the thing that's kind of been in your head, yeah, Pastor Andy, I get it. It's really simple, but it's also really difficult. And I know that is. It is really simple and really difficult. But I want you to remember who said these words who said the words repent, who said the words follow me. It's the same person who said the words, I am the bread of life who will meet your needs. 
I am the good shepherd who will walk with you, who will lead you, who will guide you. And ultimately, it's the same one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, they shall live. That is the one who says to you, repent, turn, admit your need for me, trust in me, and ultimately says, follow me. I will care for you. I will forgive you. I will guide you, and I will make sure you get to where I'm going. That is who says it to you. I'll close with this. Um, In the Gospel of John, Jesus is preaching a sermon which was really difficult for a lot of his followers to hear, so much so that countless of them turn away, and they're like, all right, this guy is, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Because Jesus was saying this. He was like, hey, if you want to have eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Not exactly like the speech that you give to people, like you're trying to win people over. Super weird. And so a lot of people were like, this is, this is strange. This is too difficult. And Jesus looks at, at 12. He looks at those closest to him, and he kind of just bluntly says, so are you guys going to walk away too? Like, this is really difficult. Are you going to walk away too? And Peter says, I I think one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Peter just looks at him, and I imagine Peter just kind of like shrugging his shoulders, and he's like, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And I think that's a really good summary of the, the simplicity and the difficulty of what it means to be a Christian. It's really simple, trusting and following Jesus but it's really difficult. May we remember that it is He who has given us the words of eternal life. Amen.